So the work's going to begin sooner than we thought because we just found out this morning that we have a water leak. A, a very significant water leak. They said that we've used over 7,700 cubic feet of water in this last billing cycle. That's about 5,000 toilet flushes. How many of you think that we actually flushed the toilet that many times? So, me and Pastor walked the, uh, uh, the line up there and found out where it is. So I'm guessing that'll be our first project on the workday, if not sooner. <laughs> Praise the Lord. How many of you are excited about what God is doing yes. here in this church, here in our city? He is on the move. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here today. What a great day. It was cold this morning, got up and it was chilly. I started a fire. I finished preparing this morning by the light of the fire. Looking forward to coming here and being with you all and having donuts this morning. And there's still some back there, not very many. Don't want to take any of them home. I mean, I wouldn't mind taking any home, so if you guys want to leave them, that's fine. But uh, probably be best if, if I shared them with the rest of you. Praise God. Well, these, um, just by way of introduction today, these, these messages that I've been sharing with you, uh, they come out of my own study notes, which are a result of my study of Brother Readout's Foundations of Life series and, uh, and my own pursuit to understand and know the Lord more. And the knowledge of God is transformative. It really is. It's not benign information that you just accumulate and tuck back in the files of your brain. It really does have an effect. It's transformative. And you would think that, you know, for somebody like me, after serving God for 30 or so years, that maybe you might have things down and be pretty well settled and uh, not a lot of change would occur. But I can tell you nothing could be further from the truth there because this is an infinite God that we serve. He really is. I got to remind myself of that. I got to think about that. That is an infinite fact. That God is infinite. And what we can know about him is infinite, which means that we'll never obtain all of it in this life. And the knowledge of God is very consequential. It has consequences in our lives. It has an effect on us. And you can go to a four-year college or longer. Uh, you can go to college for 10, 12 years and, and study one of a thousand disciplines, um, possibly none of which will actually have an effect on you are. But this knowledge of God really changes us because it confronts us. It, uh, it confronts me. And you've got to do something with that knowledge. And it's the application of the knowledge of who God is to our own personal lives. Um, and I'm talking about the things that we learn about him, his attributes, his ways. Uh, when we learn about those things and we come to know him more, we have to factor that into our thinking. We have to, we have to flex our life around those things and it changes uh, the fundamentals of how we think because we're changed when our thinking is changed 
and we're changed when we apply what we know about him to our lives and to our thinking and this is an everyday thing the knowledge of god uh isn't it has a profound effect on everything that we are every day and everything that we do it really does and so through the course of this process for me personally just kind of giving you a little testimony i have discovered that god is actually much much bigger than i ever realized he's much more significant than i ever realized he's much more powerful he you know what he really is all mighty he calls himself the almighty and you know what he really is all mighty he really is omniscient he really is sovereign he's more of those than i ever gave him credit for and these things are consequential they have confronted things in me and when we factor these things into our lives it has to change us changes the way we think and and uh, transforms the way we are the, who we are and the study of god is the single most consequential study that you can ever set your hand to and engage your mind in and i can tell you for me personally there are a lot of things that i wish i had learned sooner and what a change things but i'm also content to know that he is all-knowing and he's been at work in my life since before i ever realized it and that's true for every one of us before you ever became aware of god's working in your life he was doing it he was hard at it and uh even when i was living in disobedience he was working in my life and i'm content to know that he is all that i really need to know right now I could limit, I could restrict myself to doing nothing for the rest of my life but studying him. And not only will my life have not been wasted, it will be more fulfilling than if I had done anything else. And there are a lot of things that I would have done differently had I known the things that I know today. But then again, as a consequence of that, there's understanding that I possess today as a result of those mistakes and the failures. And... Uh, you know that in God's economy, nothing goes to waste. He is the ultimate recycler and repurposer. That, he, was, he started that long before we ever thought about it. And he can take all of my past failures and make something great out of them. So there's understanding that I have today that are a result of these experiences when I was directing my own steps and that understanding is very dear to me. It's precious. The things that I have learned through my own failures that God has brought me through, that's precious to me. And he really can. I don't know, I don't know everybody's state of mind here, but I'm here to tell you. I'm here as a personal testimony that God really can take your failures. Every single one of them. I'm talking about the very worst, the things that you don't talk about at parties. He can take those things and work them together for your good. He can make them a precious part of who you are and ultimately so that your life might bring glory to him. 
he specializes in making something beautiful out of ruined lives. And so that's where the title, How Big Is Your God Anyway, comes from of that last message, which was only part one. I didn't get all the way through it. You know, Brother Readout in a lot of his podcasts that I listen to, he goes on an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20, hour and 30. The last one that I listened to, and he does this in, in, in his own home church, the last one I listened to was an hour and 40 minutes, 100 minutes. Now, I don't think I've got that kind of capital to keep you sitting here for 100 minutes. So I just break these things in half. And uh, I'm going to give you the second installment of this. My God is big and mighty, and he is much bigger and much mightier than he used to be in my own estimation. I used to direct my own steps. I used to plot my own course and direct my own steps because I thought I had to. I really thought it was up to me. I had to figure it all out. And uh, the reason for that is because my God was too small and too weak to take care of me. I couldn't rely on him. There were things that I just couldn't trust him with. And there were things that that little God just didn't understand. Or maybe he didn't care about. But I'll tell you that when the Lord Jesus Christ began to reveal himself to me, I fired that little God because I didn't need him anymore. And I made Jesus Christ my Lord and my God, and I've never regretted it for a moment. He is a great God. He is a mighty, and I mean he is an almighty God. If that reality isn't concrete in your mind, I'm telling you what, you need it to be. You need to ask him to show him who he really is to you. He knows all. He sees all. He has power over all. You know, there's not a single leaf that's going to fall to the ground this autumn that he's not aware of. Not one single leaf in all of the world that he doesn't watch all the way to the ground. Not a single sparrow is going to fall to the earth that he misses. And we're more precious to him than many sparrows, his word says. He knows every detail of your life. His eye really is on you. And his love for each one of us and his daily watch care is so thorough, so complete, so perfect, so all-encompassing and beyond what our little minds can even comprehend and beyond what we can ever give him glory for in this life. He is content to provide us with a level of care that is so detailed and so complete that it's beyond our ability to comprehend and even thank him properly for. He is truly almighty. All-knowing, ever-present. And when words fail, he's just a great, great, great big God. And at the same time, a very, very intimate God. Praise the Lord. So today's message is going to be the second installment of a message titled, How Big Is Your God Anyway? And it deals with authorities. And these notes were scribed many weeks ago, and I didn't have any knowledge of what pastor would be teaching on Wednesday nights. And he started talking last Wednesday night about authorities. 
and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. We didn't coordinate this, so I'm just going to harmonize with his melody today. And uh, I'm excited about what God is doing here in this church. I really am. God is on the move in this church. And all of it's going to further his kingdom and it's going to bring glory to him right here in our city. And he's worthy of it. He is absolutely worthy of it. All of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor belongs to him. He is worthy of it today. Praise God. So before we get into uh, the scripture today, the fact is that God has an absolute order of authority in his kingdom. It's just how he works. It's how his kingdom works. It's how it was designed and how it works. And if you're going to be a part of his kingdom, then you're going to be under authority. If you're not going to be a part of his kingdom, you're still going to be under authority. You're just going to have a rougher time with it. Praise the Lord. And uh, we don't choose our authorities. He does. That's just by way of announcement. His kingdom is not a democracy. He chooses his authorities, and I'll make a definitive statement right now, one that I've become more and more convinced of. You are not going to be saved without a pastor. It's how his kingdom works. That's how he has ordered it. I don't care who you are, where you've been, what your experiences are, how long you've been at this, you need a pastor. The people that end up in God's heaven are only going to get there because they did things his way. So don't expect to do things your own way and do your own thing and go to his heaven. It doesn't work that way. I'm amazed at how many people I know that live life exclusively on their own terms, disregarding God almost entirely or even just partially, who don't trust him with their lives. They live by their own understanding and they direct their own steps and they don't acknowledge him in all that they do and yet they expect to go to his heaven. It won't work. It doesn't work. Not even partially, not even mostly. You can't do most of what he says and go to his heaven. You can't do most of what he says and some of your own thing and make it. It's all or nothing. And you need a pastor. And by the way, not just any pastor will do. You need the right one. Now, when you make a statement like that, for some people, the first question that comes to mind is, well, how do I find the right one? And that's a fair question and a dumb question because it's not up to you to find the right one. That's God's prerogative. He's the one that sets things in order. He's the one that gives us the leaders and the authorities that we need. He gives us the pastors that we need. These things are his prerogatives. So we don't have to go looking for one. We don't have to figure it out. Isn't that awesome? Because if I did have to figure it out, I would apply my own thinking and my own values, which emanate out of a corrupt heart, and I'd end up in trouble. So you just let God put you where he wants you and you stay until he moves you, which may never be. And if that time comes, God will tell your pastor if it's time to go. He surely will. 
I heard somebody say a while ago, I finally found a pastor that suits me. <laughs> I don't think I need to explain all the things that are wrong with that. You need a pastor that's going to get up in your face when you need it. Or one who will tell you things that maybe you'd rather not hear and maybe he'd rather not say. You ever think about that? I didn't really like what he said. Well, do you think he liked saying it? Hmm. You know, God's men have a long history of being ostracized and persecuted and even killed by God's own people when they said things they didn't like. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, even the Ninevites didn't kill the man that God sent to proclaim judgment to them. Right? The Ninevites did better than God's own people did a lot of times. So you need a pastor, and you need the one that God picked for you, because that's the man that God's going to speak to you through and teach you and feed you by. You can pick another one that doesn't obligate God to work through him in your life. So, God feeds his sheep through the pastors that he gives them. Boy, this got heavy already, didn't it? I apologize for that. Praise the Lord. None of us are above authority. If you think you're above authority, if you think you don't need authority and you're above that, go down to the parking garage down here, go up to the third level and jump off and see if you will submit to the authority of gravity. See if you're above that. No, I'm just kidding. Don't anybody do that. Somebody out there just might, which is why we have warning labels on everything. <clears throat> you will submit to the authority of gravity, and which is God's authority. That was his idea, wasn't it? Yes. Praise the Lord. If we could, uh, if we could stand. That was all just introduction. Sorry about that. Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 1 says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Pastor Thorson, would you pray and ask the Lord to bless this time today? Amen. You can be seated. By the way, I called pastor yesterday and I told him, look, I know you just started talking about authority. Uh, this is what's in my notes for tomorrow. Are you okay with that? And he said he was fine with that. Just, just so you know. So this, uh, this passage right here uh, in Romans chapter 13 is uh, not just a general passage. It says, let every soul, okay, so who is that talking about? You could point your finger at yourself and say, this is talking about me. This is talking to me. Let every soul be subject unto the higher power. So this is a verse, a, a passage of scripture that we need to apply to our own lives. 
And we also need to ask the question, what does this verse, what do these verses say about God? Whenever you read his word, ask yourself that. What are these verses telling us about God? It tells us that he is above all authority, and it tells us that he arranges all authority. Isn't that what it says? Okay. It tells us that he is very pro-authority because authority was his idea in the first place. And it was his institution, or as these verses say, his ordination. The powers that be are ordained of God, it says. So this is telling us that God appoints or arranges the authorities that are in our lives. He appoints them specifically. And if we're going to be his people, we're going to recognize and honor the authorities that he appoints to our lives. So that word ordained in uh, uh, verse 1 is a very poignant word, and it means literally to arrange or to appoint. So when we personalize this and we apply it to ourselves, the first thing that we see is a very attentive Heavenly Father. Okay, he knows us. He really does. He knows every one of us. And he's got his eyes on his children and he is arranging the circumstances of their lives for their benefit. He appoints the authorities in our lives to bless us. God's system of authority is intended to be a blessing to his people. Okay, and uh, so let's apply this. Uh, starting with verse 1, to our own lives by inserting the words in your life in there, okay? Let every soul be subject under the higher powers in your life. For there is no power in your life but of God. And in case you didn't get that, he goes on to put an exclamation point on it and says, the authorities that be in your life are appointed of God. This is very specific stuff here. Very poignant, very detailed. And ordained sounds kind of general, but appointed makes it sound a little bit more personal, I think. He says, there is no authority in your life but those that are appointed of God. They exist and are appointed by the Lord. And if you belong to him, you're going to understand this and embrace that. You can go back to the beginning to your beginning and see the hand of God at work here. You didn't choose which family you were born into. Did anybody here get to do that? Not at all. You didn't pick those circumstances. You didn't choose which uh, home you were born in. You didn't choose your father and your mother. So clearly, right from the very beginning of your life, the hand of God was at work. So if you have a problem with your parents... You should take it up with your heavenly father who gave them to you. That was, that was his idea. He put the family together that you were born into. So if you got a gripe, don't take it up with mom and dad. Take it up with heavenly dad. Okay? Go to him and say, I don't think you did a very good job there. I wish you'd given me a different set of parents. I wish you'd given me a better set. And he'll probably say something like, I could have given you a worse set. I mean, it could always be worse. 
This makes the fifth commandment a little bit more personal, doesn't it? He said, honor your father and your mother because those were the very first authorities in your life and God picked them. Dishonor them and who do you ultimately dishonor? God. Dishonor your parents and you're dishonoring the one who gave them to you. Okay? By the way, Ephesians 6.3, I don't have, you don't have to go there, brother. I'm, I don't want to throw a monkey wrench in your system over there. Uh, it tells us that that is the first commandment with promise. The first commandment with promise. It says that it may be well with, somebody tell me. Who? Yourself? Your, well, yeah, that too. It says that it may be, honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with them, with thee. That means it's good for you to honor your father and your mother does you more good than it does them. That's what it says. So after that, you were born into his kingdom in a church, and he led you to a place where the truth about him was preached, and you didn't have a whole lot of choice then either. You might think you did, but you need to look behind the scenes a little bit because sometimes God is very, very subtle in his leading. He does kind of work in mysterious ways. It doesn't have to be mysterious. But he gave you uh, a set of parents which he expects you to give honor to, and then he gave you a pastor where you were born into his kingdom, and he will introduce other authorities into your life, such as teachers in school and supervisors on your job and professors or whatever. And while these may not always be people who themselves are submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, that doesn't matter at all, does it? I mean, how big is your God anyway? My God doesn't need people who are submitted to him in order for him to have his way in my life. My authorities don't need to be submitted to him if I am. God has a long history of working through ungodly people to bless those that are submitted to him. Praise the Lord. If we are directing our own steps, we can seek a path that we think is best but we're going to end up disappointed at best. He has a hierarchy of authority, and it's not hard to see it if we have a submitted heart and if our eyes are on him. But if you set about the process of disregarding or disrespecting those authorities that God has appointed in your life, it goes nowhere good, and there's only one way back. And it doesn't matter how old you are, you have authorities in God's kingdom, you have authorities. Verse 3, Romans chapter 13, says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. That first statement, for rulers are not a terror to good works, that means rulers aren't a problem for the lawful. Rulers are only a problem for the unlawful. So if you live a law-abiding life, you'll have no problem with your rulers, okay? But that second phrase there, wilt thou, not, uh, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? That is an interesting question he asks. How many of you know that you can make a point more strongly with a question than a statement? A question makes a demand of the hearers, right? 
You're asked a question, you're expected to answer it, if even in your own mind. He could have said, you should respect your authorities. But he didn't do that. He asked us a question. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? And the, the word wilt there, our English word will, in the Greek is the word telo, which is related to the word telema, which is, speaks of the will of God. And this is not just asking a question, are you going to submit to your authorities or not? That word will speaks of uh, an exercise of your own will, to be inclined or to uh, determine or to intend. This is not a passive word. It's a very active word. And you could phrase this question in a modern vernacular like so. Uh, instead of, wilt thou not be afraid of the power, you could say, are you really determined to disrespect the authorities that God has placed you under? That's a pretty potent question, isn't it? That makes some demands of us. Are you really determined to disrespect the authorities that God has put you under? Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Obey them. So the question is, who are them? Where did them come from? How did them get in your life? Who put them there? Who put them there? God did. They didn't just happen in your life. God put them there. So we need to obey these authorities because God has appointed them to our life. And it says they're watching for your souls. Sometimes in our own little skin, in our own personal little bubble, we have a pretty uh, narrow-minded perspective. It's real easy to get myopic when, it, when uh, it pertains to your own little life. But our authorities are watching for something bigger. They've got a bigger perspective. Sometimes a longer range and a larger perspective than we have. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we need to give honor to them. Listen to what they're saying because they see things that we don't see. All right? God sets up rulers and kings and authorities and powers, and he gives us the rulers that we both need and deserve. Remember, we're talking about a very diligent, very attentive Heavenly Father. Okay? Whether or not you uh, agree with the results of the last election, and there was a lot of controversy about that. Amen? The man currently occupying the office was sworn in as president, and the last one, last one left town, so Joe Biden is your president whether you like it or not. I've heard a lot of people say, well, he's not my president. How big is your God? <laughs> there were a lot of Israelites who didn't recognize Nebuchadnezzar as their rightful king. And a lot of them died under the judgment of God for that mindset. They thought that the leadership had passed legitimately from one Israelite king to another for generations, and this guy wasn't an Israelite, and he took it by force, and so we don't have to pay attention to him. He proved otherwise, didn't he? He sure did. And uh, Paul didn't scribe the words of Romans 8.28 that we spent a lot of time looking at last time, which says, and we know that all things work together 
for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Paul didn't write those until long after the time of Nebuchadnezzar, but Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, forever, as he was in Paul's time and in Daniel's time. And that verse has always applied to God's people including those under the Babylonian captivity, including those under Roman dominion under the time of Christ. Many of the Jews during that time didn't recognize the Caesars as their rightful rulers, and many of them suffered for that foolish mindset. Their God was just a little too small. We've, uh, all right, I'm going to move on. I'm going to get myself in trouble there. Colossians 1.16, for by him... Were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or power, all things were created by him and for him. So this tells us that all of these offices were created by him, but it also says for him. They were created for him, for his purposes, for his glory. These offices literally serve him. Even the ungodly occupants of them, they serve him, don't they? He created the offices, so does anyone ascend to those offices without his promotion? No, absolutely not. Now, isn't that kind of comforting? means I don't have to agree with the results of the last election. It doesn't matter. I just have to know who God is, know that he's in charge. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, I love this one. This says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Now, is that just a righteous king or is that any king? Any king at all. His heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. So he doesn't need that king's acquiescence or agreement or awareness to turn the heart of that king. That king can be as wicked as could be, and he could still serve God as much as the most righteous person. Because it's not dependent on the king. It's dependent on the God. By the way, did you know that God is a manipulator? Isn't that what that verse says? Come on now. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord... As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God is a manipulator. He will manipulate circumstances, men, angels, and devils to bless those who are submitted to his lordship. Mm -hmm. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. He wants the living to know that the Most High rules in every kingdom of men, and God gives the kingship to whoever he will. And sometimes he will set up over it the basest of men, it says right there. You know what that means? That means I should be in charge because I'm the bassist. The bass. All right, if you didn't get that, ask somebody who's laughing right now and have them to explain it to you. 
this tells us right here that God sometimes will put leadership and authorities over his people that may be beneath their standards. How many of you know that Nebuchadnezzar was beneath the standards of many of the Jews of that day? He did not measure up, and it did not matter, because God is still God. And where do our standards come from anyway? Out of this heart, which Jeremiah 17, 9 says is deceitful above all things. And who's it, who's it most likely to, to deceive? Who is your heart most likely to deceive? You. We got to remember that. The most deceitful thing in my life is not Satan. It's my own heart. That smarts a little bit, doesn't it? Your heart's going to lead you to astray. So do you trust your heart to judge the motives of your authorities? Like I said, God's kingdom is not a democracy. You don't choose your kingdom authorities. He does. Verse 10, Jeremiah 17. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give to every man, what? According to his ways. He gives to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So what's going on in your life? Oh, pastor, my life is a disaster. My finances are a wreck. I lost my job. My car got repossessed. My roof leaks. I've got bunions. <laughs> that says to give every man according to his ways. We do reap what we sow. By the way, I don't even know exactly what a bunion is, but that word just kind of rolls off the tongue. Bunion. Bunion. It's fun. Say it with me. Bunion. The fact is, it's not my place to examine and judge the motives of the authorities that God has placed in my life. To do so is to judge him. And we've all known people that have done that, I'm sure. Let's talk for a few minutes about voices, voices of authority. There are many, many voices in the world, and many of them are older and wiser than me. But the fact is, is not every older and wiser voice that's out there has the authority to speak into my life, to direct me, okay, to, to influence my course. They may be godly. They may be very wise. They may have a lot of experience and great things to say. But the question is, what is their position in my life as far as God is concerned? Okay? Has God given them as an authority to speak into my life, to give me direction? Not every good voice out there is going to meet those qualifications, so you need to be careful who you listen to. I've seen people that went out and got the counsel of very wise, very godly people, but they were not people that God had put in their hierarchy of authority, and it took them in the wrong direction. Okay, God has given great attention to detail to the hierarchy of authority in your life. He really has. You need to regard that. Psalm 37, 23, one that we read last time, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, 
And he delighteth in his way. And so as God is directing our steps, he's the one that appoints the authorities in our lives. And by the way, he's the only one that can remove them. Doesn't that make sense? If he puts an authority in your life, only he can remove that authority. We don't make that decision if we belong to him. We don't shut off a voice that God has appointed to our lives just because they say something that displeases us. Or even offends us. How big is your God? 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Is Paul talking about, you know, the worshipers of Baal? Or is he talking about God's own people? Okay, this is to us. A, a modern rendition of that verse is, the time will come when they won't tolerate sound instruction, but after their own desires, they will seek out and surround themselves with teachers who will tell them only what they want to hear. And I want to point something out to you. That word sound, anybody here that's real good with English and parts of speech and all that? Anybody? So can somebody tell me what part of speech that is? An adjective. That's what it looks like. It is correct. Except it's not. In, in the English it is. You're, you're absolutely right. That's how I read it too. That's certainly what it looks like. It's a word that modifies that word doctrine, which makes it an adjective. But when you look in the Greek, it's actually a verb. Okay? And it means health giving the time will come when they will not endure doctrine that makes them healthy Ooh, that's pretty cool isn't it we're talking about like broccoli versus fruit loops here they don't want the broccoli because that's healthy they want something that tastes good right I almost said donuts, but I don't want to do that. You know there are places where you can get donuts with Fruit Loops on them? Donuts with little donuts on them. All right. That was a digression. This tells us that there will be those in the last days that will spurn the voices who say things that they don't want to hear, and then they will seek out other voices who will tell them what they do want to hear. And look, if, you, if that's your mindset, you will never lack for voices that will tell you what you want to hear. Never. So when you say, I finally found somebody who says what I want to hear, that's no great accomplishment at all. There's always going to be people who will tell you what you want to hear. And if I make the decision who I will listen to and obey, then Jesus Christ is not the highest authority in my life. I am. I have seized a hold of prerogatives that should only belong to him. The kind of person that hires and fires authorities in their life based on whether or not those authorities please them would not have tolerated the public ministry of Jesus Christ. He was constantly offending people. The problem is, is that he knew their hearts. He called them out on their motives. Which is why his crowd would swell and then it would diminish. And it would swell and then it would diminish. Because he would start calling people out on their motives. 
They'd get offended and then they'd leave. People don't like having their wrong motives exposed. So when does a God-appointed authority in your life cease to be an authority? When God says. So if you've stepped out from underneath an authority that the Lord has put in your life and done so without their blessing, then you've lost something. Authorities are put in our lives to keep watch over us, according to Hebrews 13, 17, and warn us when we need warning. And we all need that once in a while. And when an authority in your life confronts something in you or confronts something about you, when is the time to deal with it? Somebody tell me. When is the best time to deal with that thing that's, that you're confronted about? Immediately. Jeremiah chapter 8, just, just, just one chapter, we're still in the neighborhood of that heart is deceitful and desperately wicked thing. The very next chapter, chapter 18, beginning with verse 7, he says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. What's the time frame there? At what instant? When is it time to deal with it when you're confronted with something? In that instant. All right? You work within his time frame. That is when the window for repentance. Pastor talked about that space of repentance that God gave Jezebel. It was a space of repentance. All right? Which means there was a window that was open. There was a time when the window was open and there was a defined time and then the window was closed and she didn't repent within that time frame. This tells us at what instant because in that instant, that's when the window for repentance is opened. And if he doesn't give you a specific time frame like 40 days, like in the case of the Ninevites or 120 years in, in Noah's day, then obedience demands an immediate response. And if we hesitate to respond, even hesitate in making a decision about responding, and we step back from the shock of the confrontation and the pricking of the heart, we have the tendency to regain our composure a little bit and maybe drop the vulnerability and reconstruct our defenses and then weigh the consequences of accepting and dealing with what's been exposed to us. I don't know if anybody's ever been here. I don't know if you've ever had something confronted that you had to deal with. But it's not a difficult, uh, it is a difficult thing um, to deal with. And if you don't deal with it right then, if you just step back and kind of think about it and, and think about, oh, what's this going to cost me? What am I going to have to do? That's why he says, at what instant? The moment of conviction, that's the time to deal with it. And you cannot stiff arm God and say, I'll pray about it. Really, God has just convicted you and you say, you'll pray about it? There's only one thing to do at that point, and that's repent. Because by the time that God sends one of his ministers to confront something in your life, 
there's a good possibility that he's been after you sometime already. And that time is about to run out. God is marvelously, wonderfully patient, but not everlastingly so. He gives us a time frame to work in. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this to a close here in a few moments. I wonder if we could turn that live feed off for a, for a minute. Can we do that? I'm just going to keep this in-house here. Tell me when it's off. You sure? Okay. <laughs> Some years ago, there was a, <clears throat> a young brother in the church that came to me.